Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Deconstructive Criticism. I am Aaron Flam. This episode's guest is comedian, YouTuber, and soon-to-be author Dave Rubin. It is Dave's second time as a guest on Deconstructive Criticism, and much have happened since then. In this episode, we talk about his tour with Jordan B. Peterson, the headlines caused by that visit to Sweden, and our former Swedish Minister of Foreign Affairs, Margot Wallström's call for Jordan P. Peterson to crawl back under the rock he came from. Dave's coming book, Don't Burn This Book, Election Year in the United States, and Dave's new platform for creators trying to decentralize the internet and thus restoring its glory. But first, I want to thank you for supporting Deconstructive Criticism. Without your support, I wouldn't be able to do interviews like the one you're about to hear. So if you haven't yet become a Patreon, donated via Bitcoin, PayPal or Swish 07689437337, please do so now. My business model is based on micro-donations, or as Swedish state radio calls it, prostitution. To international listeners... I apologize, but Swedish state radio, who is financed through a tax that no one got to vote for, just called free media Venmo horse. In Swedish, Swish horse. Which, for some reason, is considered a more serious offense than stealing the denizens' money and using it to brainwash people with unceasing propaganda. Even though stealing is a criminal offense, while selling yourself is not, legally speaking in Sweden, a crime. The excuse offered by the Swedish radio that their correspondent was unaware of the meaning of the word whore is as believable as the one offered by a John caught buying sex. Oh, is that what prostitution is? I wasn't aware. I'm dyslectic. And you do well to remember that, my dear listener, that if Swedish state radio can call me and others you might support prostitutes, that means they're calling you a sex buyer. 
which in Sweden is a criminal offence. So I suggest you show State Radio what you think of their slander and donate a large sum to me at 0768943737. I do not like to think of this show as a sexual act between you and me. I like to think of it as much better than sex. Only two days before my return to Sweden, a very powerful bomb went off in my neighborhood back home. Only a block from Swedish state radio, by the way. Last year there was over 230 such explosions in Sweden. It is a miracle that no one has died or been maimed so far, and we're lucky the damages are merely material, but no one seems to have a clue why these bombs are going off spontaneously everywhere. Not the police, not the media, and if they do, the citizenry is not told. It seems that the Swedish state monopoly on violence is broken, and I think that is a more pressing priority for a state radio to talk about or investigate than calling free actors foul names, or for that matter, Iranian terrorists like Qasem Soleimani compliments. Suleimani was on an EU terrorist watch list, something our Swedish state media or public services they like to call themselves in a glorious feat of newspeak neglected to mention. Incompetent buffoons as they are. And yes, you heard me correctly, I call them buffoons. Harsh words I know, but when your country is a slow-simmering war zone, the word buffoon might be warranted. From that to something more pleasant. Dave Rubin is the host of the Rubin Report on YouTube. He has been on a tour of the world with Jordan B. Peterson. He is soon releasing a book, and he has started his own platform for communication at Locals.com. I myself have previously been a guest on his show, The Rubin Report, as he has previously been a guest on Deconstructive Criticism. Links to both episodes can be found on my webpage, AaronFlam.com. And a few days after the interview you're about to hear, I, together with Swedish YouTuber Henrik Jonsson, went on the Rubin Report a second time, an interview that Dave will publish on his channel within the next few weeks. But for now, an exciting talk with Dave Rubin. Much have happened since last we met, and I must confess, I was willfully unprepared for this interview. Dave, on the other hand, had fire in his eyes and a message to convey. So, here we go. Enjoy. Welcome back to Deconstructive Criticism, Dave Rubin. Aaron, it is good to be with you. And I just want to say I knew that podcasting was was big in Sweden, but I didn't know it could float the cost of like a $20 million Hollywood mansion. So I'm really impressed. We're doing quite well. <laughs> Partly, I think, thanks to the work you're doing here. I guess demonetization hasn't hit you guys as badly as it's hit us on uh, YouTube. Well, I am demonetized on YouTube as a default. I yeah. can try and monetize videos, but then they uh, demonetize them after a while if they think they're, uh, or someone reports them or whatever. Is that right? Your channel is actually demonetized just as the starting point. Yes. And you have to then fight everything from there. Yes. Did they send you a message or something to they did. alert you of that? Uh, yeah, yes, a very nice letter. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I assume a very personal letter, YouTube and Google, they're known for their personal communication and the way they white glove handle you and all that sort of thing. Well, it was so interesting because it was like two months before the Swedish election. How bizarre. Yeah. So you're saying right before an election, they started doing things that might influence a Swedish creator's content. Well, they were worried very that we would have an honest political debate, I suppose. Yeah, they're yes. not going to monetize that. No, 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 no that no, no, no. would be impossible in Sweden. We are still socialists. Yes, yes. Yes. So, um, last time I saw you was when you were in Sweden, 
uh, with uh, Jordan B. Peterson. Yes. Yes, and you invited me to the show. Thank you for that, by the way. My pleasure. Thank you for not heckling. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was kind of hard to heckle. You did a good warm-up, and then Jordan is, well, not as funny as you are, but yeah. uh, he has his strong points as well. Yeah, I don't think people are going there for the Jordan Peterson comedy hour. They're they're going for something a little deeper. But I, I'm sure I told you this after or in the year or so since when we've communicated. I mean, the two shows that we did in Stockholm, I think were probably two of the four most memorable shows that we did. We did something like 120 shows in about 20 countries in the course of a year. I mean, it was a pretty chaotic and and at times brutal tour of travel and all that. Um, but the the audiences were so incredibly present, and you could tell that Jordan's voice was so obviously needed in Sweden, which I had sort of known intellectually from talking to you and a few other people and people that I see talking about things from Sweden on Twitter or whatever. Um, but to be there uh, in that room, you could feel it. And uh, what was it? The uh, the foreign minister of Sweden, she wanted Jordan Peterson to, she tweeted out that he crawled back, crawl back under, the, under the rock he came from. Yes. Um, right before the second show, I think that was. So, yeah. you know, it, it, it for us, it added a lot of a comedy element to it. Um, and then I did something uh, that you attended that I had never done in any of the other shows when we do that meet and greet after and Jordan gets, you know, 200 people that pay. It's something like a hundred extra dollars per show to take a picture and a handshake. And I do a, a smaller meet and greet, which we don't sell in advance. It's just very quickly whoever wants to be there. And usually I get just 20 or 30 people that come and because, you know, it's just happening. It has to happen very quickly so that they can get to Jordan. But in Sweden, there were so many people that wanted to come that remember we, we packed that room. There were probably 60 or 70 people in this tiny room. And then I said, it's the only time I've done it. I said, you know what, there's something so incredible happening here. And it's so obvious that, that this uh, conversation that we're they all had having so, so many important. questions. For I said you. we. I said we got. Let's find a spot, and we went, we took the whole crew yeah. and went to a bar after, and we had drinks for a couple hours. And uh, for me, it really was one of the most memorable nights of the entire tour. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, apart from that, did you enjoy the tour? Yeah, it was amazing. I because mean, you've was, been all over the world now. Yeah, it was it was amazing. I visited not only countries and cities in Europe that I had never been to, but many of the forty or fifty of the cities that I visited in the United States in the middle of the country I had never been to. So, you know, I got to see places that I had never been. I got to meet people from all walks of life. I mean, you know, the irony is when the when Jordan's critics will say, you know, he's a racist and he's a bigot and all of the nonsense that we all get thrown with. It's like I'm meeting people every day. I met trans people that came to the shows. I met obviously I met black people and Muslim people and white people and gay people and Asian people. And no I know that we and your audience don't care about that nonsense. But it's like one of the things that was so interesting to me was that we'd be on tour and I'd be seeing this this man just give the best of himself to to help people and see it really happening. I mean, see people, young people showing up to a a show in suits and getting a fresh haircut and a fresh shave to show up and really had started to sit sit up straight with their shoulders back and clean their room and do, you know, I'm I'm hunched over right now, but I'll do the rest of this interview sitting up straight. I mean, you know, really giving people the tools to fix their life. And then at the same time, every day, there'd be another hit piece written about him. And the enforced monogamy one, that was the big one in the New York Times. That also in Sweden. Oh, was that in Sweden also? Yes. That they, he's for enforced monogamy, somehow implying that he want, you know, that he's in Handmaid's Tale and wants to force women to marry men. His whole point was that he just believes that the, that the state should have some degree of, it's, it's light even. It's really just that, that the institution of marriage plays a role 
plays a role in build, building a healthy functioning society. Most of us understand that. There's a reason that people marry each other. There's a reason people create families. So to see anyway, these, these hit pieces written about him and then see literally thousands of people every night change their lives and make their lives better because of the guy. It, it was incredible. And it, it really helped crystallize a lot of my thinking around all of this. Because it's one thing to understand a lot of it intellectually. And, you know, you see an article that you don't like or a policy by the government that you don't like. But when you really see it on the ground, people's lives actually changing because of these things and, and you know, slaying their dragons. And, and I'm truly... I'm not a perfect person, but I, I am definitely a better person for having been on that tour. And then you can sort of stand a, for, a former foreign minister of Sweden, <laughs> call it, calling your partner uh, a bug, basically. Yeah, well... For but, you, that was a joke, uh, but we had that joke for Minister of Foreign Affairs for years. So, yeah. Yes. Well, all of these things. I mean, the idea even, just the idea that, you know, this, this clinical psychologist from Toronto writes a book, in essence, just telling you about personal responsibility, right? Yeah. If you were to distill it down, I mean, it's, it's a brilliant book. But really, he's saying it's your life, fix your life so that you can live the most flourishing thing possible. So you can accomplish as many of your dreams and goals as you want to. I mean, that's the essence of it. Yes, but to the Swedish system, that is anathema, because they want your, the citizens to outsource all their personal responsibility, the love and care for their family. Yeah. Uh, so, um, well, that's why being in Sweden was so interesting because I had heard this idea from you that, you know, we hear all the time from our left here, from the Bernie AOC crew, we hear this idea that, oh, if we were only more like Sweden, it, it's always Sweden. If we're always more like, they want to be like all the Nordic countries, but really Sweden. If we could just be more like Sweden. They do everything right, socialized medicine and all of these things, and it's all right. And, you know, see, it works. Now, none of them have been to Sweden. None of them talk about any of the issues that you guys are talking about in Sweden. None of them talk about why the social justice warriors haven't given up in Sweden if socialism is so right, you know, a place where you have total egalitarianism and men and women are totally equal, and yet we still find they do different things, well, and the need, social we, justice warriors won't even let you have that. No, you know? they need to enforce the utopia. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> look, Thanos had to kill a lot of people, right? Yes, he, he did. Had to, have he had to take out half the universe. To, to accomplish his utopia. And that's really what these people ultimately will do. I mean, there's a reason that socialism and communism comes with a lot of dead people. Yes. Uh, where capitalism doesn't come with a lot of dead people. Capitalism is about freeing as many people as possible to do what they want with some pretty, you know, pretty, I would say, wide parameters on what you can do within that. You know, you can't murder all sorts of people. You can't do really horrific things. And, and are there some, and do we have crony capitalism? And are there some things that are not perfect? Of course, but there's no perfect system because the systems come from us and we're not perfect. Yeah. So but they so see it they, more they, as a top down thing. They believe that if only they had the, all of the power, they could just show us what's right. And that's, it's incredibly dangerous. And the idea that that now has clearly taken root for you guys over the last couple decades, I suppose. And for us, that it really now feels like in the last five years that these terrible ideas have been mainstreamed, uh, where it's almost like what we're going to end up with in the election seems more and more like it's going to be a Trump-Bernie capitalism versus socialism, really is what it will be distilled down to. That's pretty scary and depressing. Well, my, my questions were in a certain order, but you sort of turned them around already. <laughs> I'm an interviewer. That's what I'm good at. You know, so you could just turn your, uh, your notebook upside down and we could see if we could do it the other way. Because this is election year, right? Yeah, that's what they tell me. Yeah. And uh, so how do you see it going? 
I mean, well, uh, Trump is the candidate on the Republican side, right? Yes. Well, I'm sure there's going to be some sort of never Trump, you know, wannabe nobody that nobody cares about. This guy, Mark Sanford, who was the governor of, uh, not Virginia, he was the governor of something, South Carolina, I think. He, he stepped down in disgrace. He was cheating on his wife. He says he's going to run as a Republican or something. Nobody cares. But yes, so obviously it's going to be Trump um, in the midst of probably still being impeached, which is a complete absolute partisan sham. So let's just be very clear about that. So for your audience that's in Sweden, I mean, basically half of the of the House, half of Congress, all Democrats went for impeachment. No Republican did. This is the idea that you'd have an impeachment where one party is deciding to take out the duly elected president. That is so counter to the founding documents. The, the whole point is that the three branches of government, the executive branch, the presidential branch, the legislative branch, meaning the House, Congress, and the judicial branch, they have, to, they have checks and balances, but not to be, have one of them be politicized, you know what I mean, and yes. have a decision made purely on political partisan grounds. So the idea that they're running with this impeachment thing, and now Pelosi is not even handing it over to the Senate because she knows it'll never pass in the Senate. So and she the just Senate wants to- is the only only check and balance that can sort of do an impeachment, right? Well, right. So the Senate now would have to basically vote and decide on what the the House just passed in a total Democrat fashion. They they passed it with all Democrats. Now the idea is you're supposed to half, hand it off to the Senate, and the Senate is supposed to look at the evidence and decide. They know they'll never get it passed, so she's not even handing it to them. So we, we live in this really bizarre dirty time where it's like almost every one of the Democrats that are for this, for a completely partisan impeachment, you can find video of them 20 years ago saying the complete reverse thing when it was their guy, Bill Clinton, and Republicans were trying to do a more partisan impeachment. So, but look, more than anything else related to the election, if you ever wanted to ensure that every Trump voter that voted for him last time is going to show up again. Cause you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, you don't vote the second time around or maybe there's something about Trump that they don't like, or they're just kind of over the whole thing. So they wouldn't vote. If you want to ensure that they all show up, you, you impeach the guy, the, the, the entire base is going to show up. And then, you know, there's also just a lot of people who I think don't like the political games. So even if they're not Trump supporters, they just don't like the idea of what seems very much like a sham impeachment. And I think that's going to push more people to vote for Trump. And then on top of everything else, I think that the economy is doing pretty well. Uh, believe it or not, despite what happened in Iran pretty recently, we're not doing extra wars. He's trying to get us out of Afghanistan. Um, he's and trying possibly to, Iraq now. He's trying to get us out of Iraq. He's trying to get other countries in NATO to actually pay for things. Um, black unemployment's at an all-time low. Hispanic unemployment's at an all-time low. I mean, there's so many good markers right now that if you can get over the Trump derangement part of this, which a lot of people can't get over, to me, it seems like he's going to win in a landslide. I mean, I think it's going to be like a, a Reagan re-election type landslide. And this is just, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a sad moment, I would say, for the Democrats because they've chosen, they've made it clear, they're going to go down with the Democratic Socialists. So I think the Democratic Party, what, the real story here is not Trump being re-elected. It's that, it's that the Democrats have decided to trade in whatever a decent Democratic set of ideas was for Democratic Socialism. And by the way, the, the Democratic part of that will be, you know, gotten rid of pretty quick. They're just, oh, they're just I, hanging I come on. from a country that calls itself, calls itself a social democracy. And as you know, we don't really have freedom of speech. So, right. so there you go. They yeah. call themselves Democratic Socialists. You guys call yourselves a social Democrats, a, a, but uh, a social Democrats. So they're doing it the other way. But in essence, they don't really care about democracy. They want they want top down power, and that's what we're all fighting right now. So, the, the, so the cool thing 
is that you've got conservatives, you've got libertarians, you've got classical liberals, disaffected lefties. Pretty much everybody has sort of lined up in this very strange alliance right now against the woke progressives. Now, they have a lot of institutional power. They have Hollywood. I mean, we can look out this window. They have all of this. Yes. Uh, they have the media. They have the New York Times. They have all the gated institutions and all of that. Um, but we've got momentum and we've got people. It's um, interesting we, that you say smart. the word momentum. Uh, because do you think it will be Bernie who heads up the Democratic side? Well, look, Biden was brought in purely to be the firewall against the socialists, right? Biden, if he wanted to run, he would have run when Obama was done with the two terms. Biden would have run. He was four years younger. He could have continued the Obama legacy, all of those things. He didn't because he didn't really want to run. And I think what happened was suddenly they were like, holy cow. Hillary's not going to do it again, nor do we really want her to do it again. We've got nobody. Who are the centrist Democrats? You know, there there were good Democrats. John F. Kennedy was a good Democrat, right? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Th- that is a good principle to have as a, as a citizen in a free society. That's the reverse of what Bernie says. If Bernie was ever to say, ask what you could do for your country mm-hmm. instead of what your country could do for you – No, he says we should give you a lot of crap all the time. They would hang him for saying that, right? We had we had great senators like Daniel Patrick Moynihan in New York when I grew up, and we had mayors like Ed Koch that were good centrist Democrats. Now you may want to be more libertarian than them, you may disagree, but you thought that these were principled people who loved their country. I, I don't think that Bernie really loves this country. I think that Bernie loves an idea of a country that he could create that would probably be a lot more like Sweden, although he doesn't realize that. How many people are in Sweden? It's like, what, 10 million or something? 10 million, yes. 10 million. And we have a country of about 350 million people from all walks of life. So we have all sorts – when they they do that comparison and they make it sound like it's so simple, right? It's like, we should be more like Sweden and it should just be like that. And it's like, no, we have so many different things. Not only the fact that we've, we've, we are the last remaining superpower and, and just the, the amalgamation of people that we've brought to be in this melting pot. It's just such a unique, unique case of the United States. And I don't think they fundamentally love this country. They love the idea of a country that they can create. And by the way, they say that all the time. Remember, even Michelle Obama, she said she was never proud of the United States till her husband was president, you know? And that's like, oh, really? Because we've done a lot of good here and everyone still wants to come here and nobody wants to leave here, you know? They're, But they're, even Obama has sort of woken up now and told off the woke left, hasn't he? Well, Obama's doing like a real sort of shady move here because one week he like gets it and he's like fighting identity politics and the next week he'll say, you know, more women have to be in power because women will save the world. And, you know, he, he keeps doing this thing where he vacillates back and forth. And I, in a way, I don't blame him because it's a, it's a self-preservation in a certain respect because let's not forget – For as left and progressive as and, – and say liberal as Obama may be, Obama ran the first time against gay marriage. He was against gay marriage. Now, the progressives of tomorrow are going to hate the progressives of today because they're always progressing. But they never tell you what they're progressing to. You know, progress just for the sake of moving is not good. You want to have some blend of we've done some good things here. We want to conserve some of these things. And you can't just say, well, I'm just going to progress forever, right? <laughs> yes. You got to have – you got to know where you're going. And what I think Obama is doing every now and again when he tries to check them is he knows the progressives of 2040 are going to look back at an Obama presidency and go, let me get this straight. Barack Obama ran against gay marriage, that homophobic bigot. I want his his library in Chicago taken down. 
And I think he's very aware of that. And I think he sort of created a little bit of the monster with the progressives. And now he's trying to check them. But by the way, now you've got things like the Washington Post calling him a conservative. Because if you take any position that is outside of the accepted woke narrative, now you're conservative. When they say conservative, that's the nice thing they can say about you. Because usually they say that means you're far right or alt right or all right adjacent or the rest of it. So really what's happening here and the reason I'm hopeful is that the left is basically purging all of their free thinkers. If you don't take their position on literally everything from eight and a half month abortions to reparations to anything else, you're all of those awful words and you got to be booted. What that does is it creates a real interesting fertile situation for people on the other side to go, all right, let's talk it out. So people on the right right now, there are people that are very for uh, you know, the strike that Suleimani, that, that on Suleimani right? So there were, so there are people that are very for that. And then there's the more libertarian side of, of the people on the right, say the Tucker Carlson's who are completely against it, but they're not trying to kill each other. They're actually having a battle of ideas a, as you're supposed to, right? Yes. I mean, Tucker has been probably Trump's biggest supporter on cable news, yet he's really attacking Trump right now. That's healthy. That's healthy. They're not saying we can't be Republicans. We can't be conservatives. We can't, they're actually having a battle of ideas. What do we want to do with our power as Americans? How do we uh, secure our country? What What is our foreign policy? All of those things. So that's very rich on the right right now. There's really none of that on the left. So what I do think, if I had to, look, the prediction game is, is, is hard. It, it ain't fun, right? No. Um, I don't see a real way that Sanders doesn't win the nomination because Biden is not mentally capable of doing this. I don't think he has the energy and it's sad. I don't mean that. I actually, it's, it's sad watching him when he can't finish a sentence and he seems confused and he doesn't know what state he's in. And he now says things that he was completely against. I mean, the litany of things that they have him saying the complete reverse 20 years ago. And that's the sucky part of being a politician for a long time because they can always get you on what you said, you know, 20 years ago about impeachment or about anything else. But it's like they, the Democrats brought Biden in to be the adult. They saw, holy cow, we, we are this close to becoming socialist. And they thought, who is there? And Biden was basically the last guy. And they thought, let's bring in old Biden to see if he can fix this. But Biden, he doesn't believe in what has made him good, let's say, for all of these years. So they, they do the uh, equality forum, the LGBT equality forum. And Biden literally says, if you go to jail, it's not your birth gender that should decide what jail you go to. It's whatever gender you identify as. All right. Yeah. So there's going to be an awful lot of male rapists in women's prisons. I bet. So it's like they brought him in to fight wokeness, but it's such a mind virus that even he, the guy who was supposed to be the adult in the room, is now succumbing to it. Um, So I don't think he has – I just don't think there's any energy behind him. There's no enthusiasm behind him. And it almost seems like everything's being positioned so we get this grand battle, you know, sort of like a – Capitalism versus socialism, yes. And Bernie will be... Yeah, the good, uh, the light versus the dark and the whole thing. And who is who? (laughs) Trump suddenly (laughs) became the light. What a planet. Indeed, isn't it? Uh, The reason I said it's uh, interesting that you say momentum... The group behind Bernie is Justice Democrats, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and that's Ilan Omar, Alexandra occasionally, Cortez. Yeah. I mispronounced that on purpose, by yes. the way. Yes. And they, as far as I can tell, they want collective bargaining, Green New Deal, and uh, uh, gender type intersectionalism, right? What I call anti-Semitism. Just yeah. Off yeah. The cuff. It ain't good for the Jews. You can definitely say if that. If Bernie yeah. wants to know what his policies will lead to, I suggest he visits Malmö in Sweden. 
because n now there's practically no Jews left there. Yeah. Well, look, this is, I mean, you know, there's so many things to talk about with this, but, you know, relative to, to what's happening, you know, we've seen this like surge of anti-Semitic attacks in New York and yes. it's, and it's all coming from lefties. Yes. And it all makes perfect sense because Jews are a minority that is successful. That does not fit with their world narrative. They only like minorities that are unsuccessful or marginalized or something else. So the choice for Jews is either be successful, live the life you're supposed to live freely and be hated or be liked and basically be killed, right? So they'd be all, if, if, if the Nazis were in power in Germany right now, American lefties would be all about the Jews. They'd be, up, oh my God, they're being oppressed and all that. Yes. Because they, because nothing that they do is actually based in what's what's human and good it's based in these these power structures that don't make sense so that's why jews have had to be thrown under the bus and by the way it's not just jews they're doing this too i mean asians have been thrown under the bus harvard now openly discriminates against asian people so if you are asian it is harder to get into harvard than even for a white person because they had too many too many asian people there so they're the ones that are injecting systemic racism into the system you know what i mean it's it, and i i get it the road to hell is paved with good intentions. They want to help minorities. But every time you help a if you help somebody artificially, you have to punish somebody else. And why should some 18-year-old Asian kid who potentially is a first-generation immigrant or a third-generation immigrant whose parents maybe owned a bodega or a little corner shop who worked very hard to come here and everything else, who studied, did all the right things, why should that kid be punished just because of his ethnicity? This is now what the left is offering. Not, you know what I mean? And, yes. and 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 that's why it's bad for the Jews. It's bad for it's bad for every minority. Um, and usually, when bad things come, it comes for the Jews first. That's just the the bargain that Jews have been sort of left with. But it is interesting because these three things. Uh, also, by the way, uh, the faction that got Corbyn elected to labor uh, to head labor in England, uh, they were called Momentum. Mm -hmm. And they have the same production handbook as Justice Democrats. It's, that, that it's the same, poli the same yeah. three policies, collective bargaining, Green New Deal, intersectionalism. Well, look, the, the silver lining of this is that Corbyn took a pretty bad loss and, you know, will no longer be the head of the party and Labour got pretty obliterated and all that. So if that's a sign, and, and by the way, there's been a, a pretty big swing in, in, in elections all over the world that have started to lean right. Right, we've had a whole bunch of this over the last couple of years, um, so that that is a good sign if you basically care about freedom, if you basically care about nation states, if you care about capitalism and the rest of it. But these guys will not give up, and and by the way, they want political violence. I mean, the the uh, the Democratic um, convention, it's going to be violent. I guarantee it. It was violent last time, although the media barely reported on it because they wanted to make it seem like Trump supporters were the violent ones. But it's going to be violent, and. What they've done is they, they wanted to destroy the apparatus of the Democratic Party, and they did it. It, it. They did it already. I mean, no one's really talking about it. But the Democratic Party, in any sort of functioning, what we used to call blue dog Democrats, moderate Democrats. So a Democrat that might say, you know, I don't love abortion, but I'm pro-choice. And, you know, one after one trimester, you can't have an abortion. That, that used to be a pretty moderate stance. I think most people believe in something like that. But now we've literally got it to the point where they're talking about post-birth abortions. 
I mean, that quite literally, they're talking about post-birth abortion. So you can abort your child up until, literally, f- up until 40 or when they can support themselves. <laughs> my parents could abort me now uh, because of my political beliefs. No, I mean, really, they're talking about, well, if the baby comes out and the doctor says, oh, it's going to have this health problem or it can't, you know, these crazy, really, really crazy stuff. But that tells you a lot about generally the mentality of a leftist. And I say this as someone that was on the left for most of my life. If your whole worldview is just based on what you feel is right on any given moment, you don't know exactly why it's right. You don't know where rights really come from, but you kind of just feel that things should be a certain way. You can be moved to do almost anything. And that's why socialism and communism are so dangerous because they kill people because they they believe that their system is the only thing that can work. Generally, not that conservatives are right about everything, because I, I don't believe that they are. I don't think anyone has a total monopoly on truth. But a general conservative belief is that it's your life, individual rights, that we should all be treated equally under the law. And then some of us are going to work harder. Some of us are going to have more luck. Some of us are going to come from more. Some of us are going to come from less. But that's a the idea of individual rights in and of itself. That's sort of a bedrock principle that the right has right now that the left doesn't have. They just sort of feel like, ah, I kind of feel something today. And that's what we have to move on that. And then, and that's sort of the, uh, and this is very depressing for me to say, but that to me is the weakness of liberalism. Um, as someone that still considers myself a classical liberal, liberalism almost doesn't have a defense mechanism against its worst, the worst parts of the left. And I think that's what the socialists saw. The socialists saw we could. How do we get in on this? Get in on it. How do we get into the system? Right, the bigger worldwide system. Get in through the liberals because liberals are nice. Liberals are tolerant. Liberals are decent. Liberals love diversity. We'll use all of their words and we'll use all of their phrases and we'll just kind of wiggle in and then we'll just eat them from the inside. And I think that that's what's happened, which is why there's so few good liberals anymore. Which is a pretty depressing thought as a, as a lifelong liberal. Yeah. Uh, no, I understand completely. Uh, so. Do you do you think Bernie Sanders, by the way, knows who's who he's hanging out with? Yes. Do he you has think to he know. bears ill will? That's what I'm asking you. Do I think he bears ill will? Because I mean, I come from a country that's socialists. Yeah. My family is Jewish. All of them have voted socialists or on the left. Or, and I mean, in, if you vote liberal in Sweden, you would consider it a socialist it's, liberal right, party. Right. So, so it's pretty lefty. Right. It's what's saying? happening yes. here. Is and what you and I don't yeah. see any of them, not that they've told me, but I don't see any of them uh, voting for the socialists in the, in the coming election mm-hmm. because uh, Jews in Sweden are pretty much fucked. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, look. There was a huge anti-Semitism problem with the Labour Party in the UK. And then, yes. as we just talked about, I mean, Corbyn got demolished. Um, so these trends... But Sweden is different. I mean, I've written a book about it after I, I want to learn <laughs> Swedish just so I can <laughs> No, I'll, I'll give book. you a PDF in yeah. English. But, yeah. but basically, the Swedish welfare state, the Swedish social democrats, uh, supported Hitler with arms and money up until the end of the war. And official Swedish history says we were neutral during the war, maybe a tad bit more on the Nazi side up until 43. And then, you know, Hitler started losing and you had to switch side if you were really a good person. (laughs) So uh, the official story in Sweden is still. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yeah, we were neutral, but up until 43, we were a bit more neutral on the Nazi side. And then afterward, we were a bit more neutral on the Allies side. Mm. Uh, but the truth is, as I write in the book and have proof of now, uh, is that they were on Hitler's side up until the end of 1944. And then uh, when Washington called them here uh, for uh, uh, discussions about reparations... Uh, the first thing they uh, negotiated was that it shouldn't be called reparations, voluntary donations. And, and, and then they didn't really want to give back the money for, <laughs> to, for instance, Belgium and Holland, whom uh, Hitler had robbed and sent the gold to Sweden to buy arms. And since they never really dealt with that sto- history, because uh, socialists don't like history that portrays them as bad. They also don't like voluntary which it tells you a lot about exactly. why you use that phrase, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, voluntary, right? It's like even with our discussion about reparations here in the United States right now, which I'm completely against, um, it's like all of these people that are for it, all the celebrities that are telling us we should be for reparations and all the Democratic candidates that, well, they don't donate anything. What You guys are allowed to do it. It's so righteous, guys. Well, why don't you show us? Don't, don't tell us. Show us a little something, a little something. Bernie's screaming about affordable housing for everybody. He does have three houses. Could he rent, maybe give one room for low-income people? I mean, Has I don't begrudge no. him those things. No, of course he hasn't. No. And that's what they, they never do any of the things that they preach. I mean, that, that's, that's a consistent, uh, that's a consistent thing that comes out of the left all of the time. You know what I mean? We're even right now, all of the policies, none of the policies make any sense. So we're going to have $15 minimum wage. Go to any fast food place right now. What's happening? You got iPads everywhere. We're just replacing humans. So they're going to artificially tell businesses how much they have to pay people. And then at the same time, businesses are just going to be like, okay, more iPads, more iPads, more iPads, no humans. So it's like, for me right now, I have a small, profitable, functioning, completely in the black business. I'm very proud of my my business. I pay 100% of my employees' health insurance. We treat everybody great. We pay very fair wages, blah, blah, blah. Um, what right would the government have to say that, Dave, you have to, if you're going to hire a new production assistant, you have to pay them $15 an hour. Now, I pay my guys all really well, well most of them well above what, what their sort of market value would be because I want to bring in great people and I want them to be with me for the long haul. But I have quite literally hundreds, if not thousands of emails of people offering to work for me for free or for next to nothing. If I wanted to do that, what right does the government have to come in and say, no, 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 Dave, even though someone wants to work for you for free, or they've agreed to do it for $7 an hour, and they're a high school kid who's just going to take pictures at your studio, you know, no, no, you have to pay them $15 an hour. It makes no sense. And then Rashida Tlaib, uh, who's part of the squad or whatever the hell this thing is, Justice she, Democrats. She, uh, Justice Democrats, she comes out a few months ago and she said, no, it should be $20. And it's like, 
Well, actually, she's right, because if you're just making up numbers, well, what right do you, Bernie, have to say it should be 15? It should be 20, and then why not 25 and the rest of it? And that, again, goes to how they, they used... They use the goodness of liberalism to infect the system. They use the, the good intentions of liberals to, to help people to, to now create a series of horrific policies that make no sense. Last time I had, on, had you on the show, I wanted to ask you what you thought the root cause of this was. My book is my answer, but you're writing a book now as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. so it's done. It's done. Uh, so whatever I say now can't be altered. No, so yeah. uh, what's the name of your book? So the book is Don't Burn This Book, Thinking for Yourself in an Age of Unreason. I was going to show you an image there, but we'll deal with that later. Um, I'm really proud of it. I've, I've given it, well, you know, as an author, and yours is a little more dense than mine's 256 pages, about the same Mine about is only size. 461. Yours is about 500. <laughs> I mean, this is a dense, I, I will read the PDF, but you're going to have to give me about, you know, a year and a half to do it. Yeah. Um, but I don't have to tell you that writing a book is is completely different than than talking. It's completely different than performing or speaking or lecturing or any of those things. Um, but didn't you enjoy it? I, I really did enjoy it more than I thought I was going to enjoy it. Um, but it also comes with, you know, a lot of days. Literally, I'd start the day, have my coffee, walk my dog, and then just lock myself yeah. uh, in a bedroom, one of the, the green room, one of my bedrooms in my house, because my studio is in the house, the green room that you've been to, um, is is also my office. It's my office and a bedroom and the green room. It's a, it's a multi-purpose room. And I basically lock myself in from about 8 a.m., usually till about 1 or 2 p.m., usually not even eat anything, just coffee and water and just write, 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 write. Um, and I had a, a friend actually in the UK who I would bounce a lot of ideas off of and we'd, we'd wrestle with things and really try to really extrapolate the most truth we could out of it. You know, it's it's like squeezing an orange sort of, just get the most out of it as as you can. Um, so I did enjoy the process, but as you know, it's also, it's also kind of painful. Pleasurable um, hell. But yeah, it's pleasurable. Right. I mean, that really is what it is, right? Because you have to, it, it also makes you, for me at least, what I realized was there's something about print, like an, like actual print that people are going to walk around with this. You're going to see people at the airport with this, or you're going to just see the book at the airport, or you're going to, you're going to know that they're talking about this on a TV show or something that makes it all feel more, Real. Real and immortal and here versus YouTube videos, which seem sort of amorphous or podcast things that yes. just go out to the universe, something like that. Um, so that's why I really wanted it to, to feel like I, I just gave it everything I had. And, it, and I think it's the right blend of ideas and, and humor and some silly stuff and a little bit of personal stuff. But to answer your question, uh, which is what the root of all of this is. Well, when you say all of this, you mean just sort of what leftism is, like what socialism the is? Craziness is that, the, the craziness right we're seeing right now right. in the Western world, yes. So the root of all of that is we're, we're in the midst of basically what the endless battle of humanity is, which is authoritarianism versus libertarianism, right? So it's just the, the, that for ages and for millennia and for the beginning, since the beginning of human history, what humans have fought is to be free versus people that want to control them. That that's the battle. That is yes. the that is the only battle. You know, people argue about tax taxes, they argue about all these little policies and it's like that's not really the battle, guys. It's the thing that's beneath it. So the battle is authoritarianism versus libertarianism. The reason that the terrible ideas of the left now, the socialist democrats or the democratic socialists or the the, the woke brigade or whatever you want to call them. The reason that they've taken root in the West, I think in the last 
let's say 20 years where it really, especially in the last 10 years and five years where now it's on steroids and now everyone sees it. But the reason it's sort of been a recent thing is that the West through capitalism, through freedom and free markets and all of these things has created so much unprecedented freedom, so much ability to live how you want to live that we sort of got bored of all of it. We can't even see the goodness anymore. We can't see the forest for the trees. We can't see that capitalism brings more people out of poverty. And yes, are you going to have billionaires? You will. You will have billionaires. But you know what? Your poor people, your poor people in a capitalist society are immeasurably wealthier than poor people in, in a socialist society. And what's happened is lazy thinking has infected almost everything. As we've become more successful, instead of really thinking about things and reading books about things, we've let terrible ideas leak into academia. We've let, we've let ideas, you know, Douglas Murray, who I, I, yes. know, I know you know of, obviously, who I think is one of the greatest thinkers who's really dissected a lot of this. Uh, one of his great- Did you read his well, book? I, I've read both of his yeah. books. And the last one, Madness of Crowds, I think is a, is, a, is a spectacular, you know, it's funny. I was reading Madness of Crowds as I was writing my book and I kept thinking, I need to be a better writer because this guy is just such a, he's, you know, he's, yeah, got, yeah. he's got the British <laughs> thing too. He's just, he's just brilliant. But when I had him on the show, one of the things he said is, we are now debating things that we long know are true. We're suddenly debating them and we're now no longer debating things that we should be debating. Uh, so we've got that. And then the other part of this is that as all the bad guys are coming, the barbarians are going to be at the gate and we're going to be debating what gender they are <laughs> instead of why they're at yes. the gate or can the gate hold or the rest of it. Um, so because we've sort of gotten fat on our freedoms, we don't know what they are anymore. We don't understand why. The, that the First Amendment in the United States, that the government cannot come for your free speech. I'm pretty sure you guys would love to have that in Sweden. If, I would. I know That you is would. one of my political goals. I want to go back to doing dick jokes. And I, and I will do everything in my power to ensure that becomes a reality. Thank you. Um, but I mean, think about that. So you live in Sweden, which by and large is a free society by, by most... Until uh, they come for you, yes. Uh, until they, <laughs> until the day they're at the door, there. But, but basically, a free society, right? But here you are in the United States. You know, you can say things here that you cannot say at home. That yes. that is that is a pretty profound, scary, but also inspiring thought. But we have the First Amendment. We have the Second Amendment, which defends the ability to have the First Amendment. We have the Fourth Amendment about privacy. We have these incredible. Uh, freedoms here, and we're suddenly debating whether we should be free or whether we should just pick people that have never done anything. I mean, Bernie Sanders has never accomplished anything. He's never hired anybody. Becoming a politician and running a campaign is not an impressive uh, skill set. Um, has he ever run a business? Has he ever had to make executive choices? The president is the executive. So what we've done is we've just, it's all easy answers because we've become fat on things and we all have Netflix and we all have, we're running around on TikTok pretending we're oppressed while we have more power in our hands than it, than is than quite literally could have been humanly imaginable 20 years ago. And we've become fat on these ideas. And then they just, the, the, the socialists and the, the wokesters and, and all these bad people, they infected the system because they realized, whoa, these capitalists are so fat on it that they'll, they'll just easily go down with some bad ideas. And, uh, so I think the answer to your question is it's not rocket science saying that it's just people who want power. 
But if you if you think about it, you know, why do the Islamists love the progressives? Islam, Islam is basically the most regressive set of ideas. Why do they love progressives? Are they really for gay marriage? Are they really for abortion? Of course they're not. But the reason they love the progressives is the progressives want power. And what do Islamists want? Power. So they're just going to be the last ones to be beheaded. The prog- and this is sort of what's happening with Bernie. So when you ask me about Bernie's intentions, he's around some really horrific people. Ilhan Omar, Linda Sarsour is a true anti anti-Semite. I don't run around calling people anti-Semites. I live in the greatest society in the history of the world. And for although the, the hate crimes against Jews is by far the most of any minority, this is not an anti-Semitic country. This is, this is, this is the safest place for Jews to live, in, in some ways even safer than Israel. I mean, yes. that, that's how insane everything is. But Bernie has surrounded himself with horrific, horrific people. And the reason he does it is because he wants power as a socialist, and some of them want power either as as Islamists or whatever their other toxic ideologies are. This, the, the beauty of this, and I sent a long thread at the beginning of the year about my prediction for this year, and I do think this is the year that it all implodes, is that this competing interest of black people versus white people, rich people versus poor people, men versus women, gays versus straights, it can work for a while, and it's worked for these last few years. But beneath it, beneath its exterior that looks kind of good, it all sort of feels right. Oh, we should hate rich people and white people are evil. Like these blanket statements that are just nonsense. But they kind of, if you don't want to think about things, they kind of seem right. Beneath that, the skeleton of this thing is seriously weak. It is really, really weak. And that's the part that all of us have to just remember this competing interest, you know, I don't know, there's a Decepticon hat over there. You said it wasn't your hat, but, you know, Transformers from the 80s or the horrible Michael Bay movies, they had the Constructicons. These were five trucks that all combined to form Devastator, a much bigger, yes. powerful Decepticon. That's the way they think. They think they can take people with five different set of ideas and combine into something more powerful. But really what they're combining into is something that's going to have a really, really weak skeleton beneath it. And I think that's why we will watch this thing implode. And that's why here we are in Hollywood just two or three days after Ricky Gervais just set this town on fire by telling them – basically telling them all to go F themselves. Yes. And so, as I so told there's, you there's, upstairs, there's hope. Greta Thunberg got a shout out. And We're very God, happy about that. Your greatest export, by the way. <laughs> yes. But that's what happens when socialism fails in every other way is that they all run into the church of nature because yeah. – uh, the Church of Nature presents you with a question so complex it is uh, it, impossible to answer. So what do you do then? You, you you step away and you turn on Netflix and you you just distract yourself rather than grapple with these issues. But again, this is why I'm hopeful because now, because of podcasts, because of YouTube, because of Twitter, all of these ways we've started to communicate with each other, you know, the 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 veil is being pulled off this thing, and people are starting to see it for what it is. And once you really see it, and if you if you just spend a little time thinking about these issues and go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Should I keep more of my money and and do what I want with it, whether it's give it to charity or spend it on a car or give it to my kids or do whatever I want to do with my money? Does that make more sense than giving it to the government so it can decide to do things? And by the way, the whole time, this is the endless irony of what the left offers, which is the government's horrible. Everyone's corrupt. We're all evil. The system's evil. What should we do? Give it more money. Give it more power. Yes. If we're the ones, everyone before us was was a schmuck and an idiot. We can fix all of this, even though we have no track record of ever doing anything. And that's why if you really show people this, I, I don't think it takes rocket science to push people over. That's that's why I'm, I wrote the book. And that's what I want people 
to understand. And, and that's why I find it so fascinating talking to people like you and why the tour with Jordan was so great was because I was on the ground talking to people about these things. Yeah. And it wasn't through a media filter and it wasn't from reading a New York Times article that made me think a certain way. It was actually from, from going to the bar that night after the show and sitting with you and, and literally 50 or 60 other people having a drink in Sweden talking about how fear, fearful they were for the future of their country. And that the things that they were talking about were the exact same things I'm talking about in America. That's pretty powerful. I think you will survive. I'm pretty sure the welfare state of Sweden will not. Yeah. Uh, because uh, the business of the United States, as far as I can tell, is business. Yeah. And business is a good thing. Business is a great thing. Competition is a good thing. Markets are a good thing. Freedom and socialism is a good thing. continually eats itself. Well, so because the, que- it's the question destru- is destructive. The question is really then, if we all believe that, which I think most clear thinking people do. The question is when it destroys itself. And as I said, I, I think this is the year it implodes because of the election and the competing interests will become too obvious to bear. The question is, what does it do? What chaos does it sow in the destruction? And then if I could loosely quote Jordan here, it would be something like, well, what kind of phoenix rises from the ashes of that? Does liberalism suddenly return because they finally go, holy cow, this socialist stuff is garbage and evil and hateful. And do good liberals magically reappear? Or does something even worse come out? I mean, you know, you can, you can play that game endlessly, right? Does something worse come after it or, or what happens after? But I believe it will implode this year. And maybe the, the culmination of the implosion is Bernie just getting crushed by Trump. And then finally they have to go, Holy cow, maybe we really misjudged this thing. Maybe we shouldn't have let the kids at the adult table. That would be great. And I have another question for you. And this one will be the last and then you're free to go. So you're a tech entrepreneur now. I didn't have enough on my plate, man. Yeah. But I'm asking because you said podcasts are important because yeah. they uh, help with the conversation. Yeah. And uh, I'm demonetized on YouTube and uh, shadow banned from time to time on Twitter. Uh and that's in the terms of service now. I saw you. It is quite literally in the terms of service as of January 1st, 2020, that Twitter can throttle your tweets. Now, we all know anyone that's been paying attention to this in our world, we've known they've been doing this for years. But now they actually put it in their terms of service and pretty much nobody said anything. So that means that they, they are telling you we are rigging the game. Yes. It's like It's like going to a sporting event, going to a basketball game and then just saying, you know, no matter what the score is at the end... We're tacking on 10 for this team, you know? I mean, they're telling you we are cheating. We know the algorithms are cheating. We know about de-boosting and de-ranking and all of these tricks that they're playing. But now they're even telling it to us and we're still going, guys, let's keep playing. Let's keep playing. Everything's okay. So what is Locals.com? So I started Locals.com. So basically for the last year and a half, um, you may remember uh, it was it was just over about 14 months ago when Sargon of Akkad, who was a big YouTuber, classically I, lo- I, liberal, I lost a shitload of Patreons be- on that because, on the, because of that. All right, so there's going to be a there's going to be a happy ending for you here. And also, so, you should remember, I'm a prospective customer of Locals.com, so you better sell it well now. I, I told you there's going to be a happy ending for you. I just put the ending over here. So about 14 months ago, Sargon of Akkad, who was really one of the first. I would say classical liberal, I don't know what he considers himself now, uh, but we're really one of the first classical liberal people on YouTube. When I started waking up, say, five years ago to what was happening with the left, when I was on the Young Turks and I was a lefty and the whole thing, people started saying, you got to talk to this guy, Sargon of Akkad. And it was, that was really when I didn't even know what YouTube fully was, these people that are, have the, the, these monikers and you don't know if it's a real person or it's an anime cat or, uh. you know, but I started 
connecting with him and I, I did an interview with him on his show and I thought, oh, there's something here. There, there are liberals that are frustrated with, with leftism and, and all this. In any event, 14 months ago, he was funding his channel through Patreon. So Patreon, for your audience that doesn't know, is uh, it's just a crowdfunding site. So it's a subscription-based site. You put in however much you want for whatever creator that you, you care about. Sargon was on – so he was funding his YouTube channel through Patreon. He was on another show, on another YouTube show, where he said the N-word. And he didn't say it to be racist. He actually said it because he was mocking the use of the word by the alt-right, if you actually listen to the context of why he said it. Patreon decided to boot him from their platform, even though he didn't do it on, not only not on his YouTube channel, he didn't do it on Patreon itself. So they decided to punish him on their platform for a word he said, not even on the their platform, nor the show he was funding on their platform, on a completely other thing, and they didn't care about the context or the rest of it. Anyway, that happened, and and suddenly Jordan uh, Peterson and I, we just decided this. We eventually you have to stand up for things. You know, we all we all stand up for things in our life, but this one really struck me as a bridge too far. If they can take this guy out, they can take out anybody. So over the last year and a half, I met with a million tech people. I talked to all sorts of. Uh, literally philosophers and tech people and uh, financial people about how we could build a different type of internet. And basically what we've decided with locals.com is that the internet right now, and this is so consistent actually for all the ideas we're talking about here, the internet right now is completely top down, meaning you've got Facebook, you've got Google, YouTube, and you've got Twitter pretty much as the big companies that control everything. And they they give us free things. But what they didn't tell us was that the cost was going to be your soul, right? The yeah. cost was going to be your information and everything else. So it's top down thinking you're getting something for free. But then at the same time, we manipulate you. We we silo you. We're going to make you hate certain things and love other things. We're going to, you're going to search for scientists and you're not going to get the proper results because we're going to, um, we're going to de, it's not de-boost. What do they do? They, um, there's a magical word for it where they, so if you search for like top American scientists, by the nature of the work that's been done, something like nine out of 10 of them would be white men. It's just how it is. Yeah. But they, um, oh, I can't believe I can't think of the word. They've decided to manipulate the search so that you'll get a more diverse set of people. And they have a word for this There, there's as well. An actual, not, it's not de-boosting. It's, um, ah, it'll, it'll, it'll hit me in a second. In any event, we know we're, we're going through a series of these manipulations. And what we thought was, all right, how do I how do we fix this by also doing something that's consistent with everything else that I talk about? The things should be bottom up. And I always talk about local government. And this was the idea of locals.com that the internet should be creator first. So what we're doing is we're building websites and apps for creators subscription based where you set your own rules. So this is a complete game changer. So the way the internet works now is you're on these platforms and you sign their terms of service. They can do whatever they want to you. They, yes. I, you know, they've banned you at times and shadow banned you and you deleted this tweet or that tweet or whatever it is. Now we have a terms of service on locals that basically you can't break the laws of the United States. Like you have to have that just legally to yep. protect yourself, but within your local. So I have the Ruben Report community. We, we build iPhone apps and we build Google Play, Android apps and websites. Within your community, you can set whatever rules you want. So if someone is going to pay you to come into your community, And then they just hate you and all day long they're telling how horrible Aaron Flam is and they're fighting with people. You can just boot them. Well, first of all, very few people will pay you to be a troll. So just by having a, a paywall, 
And on some, you can set whatever you want. So it can literally as little as a dollar would actually get rid of probably 99% of the trolls because there's just a burn rate that everyone has these things for free. So it's like, you can just keep creating new accounts and all the rest of it. So not only will they not pay you to troll you, but if they come in and they're doing all sorts of the general chaos that everyone now hates about the internet, you can boot them, but you're not deplatforming them because they can still be in anyone else's local. What you're saying is you cannot come to my home. I, I am for free speech, but I don't invite everyone to my home to say horrible things, right? Uh, this is why we have doors and locks and fences and all of these things. So we've taken care of the deplatforming part. Uh, one of the other things that, that was most important was that, you know, if you have, so my channel, I think we have something like 1.2 million subscribers on YouTube. I have no ability to communicate with my audience because I put up a video and it gets to maybe 5% of them. They can click the bell, they can subscribe, but we know that the video just doesn't go out into the feed to all of these people. So we have push notifications. If you subscribe and you're part of your community, your audience is actually going to get push notifications. We have ad-free video and a seriously sleek, fast video player. We have ad-free audio. We have a full feed we have a full feed that's completely not manipulated by any algorithm anywhere. Um, so we have a beautiful video player. You know, people can like and comment. They can communicate directly with me. They can communicate directly with each other. As I said, you set the rules. And and basic... Oh, and you own You're the data. You're decentralizing we're, we're de- the internet. Yeah, yeah. we're basically. trying to decentralize it as much as possible. We're working, on, we're working on different payment processors. And there's a series of things that we still want to do to to make bigger protections on the decentralized side. We have to wait for a little bit of the technology to get there. Um, but, you know, here's, I'll tell you a really beautiful thing. So we have three investors so far. I've only, I've literally only gone to three people. Now, now we're in a second round of fundraising. So I've gone to some other people. But when we were first raising to go to this, I had three people that were patrons of mine over the years that said to me separately, independent of each other, uh, said to me, you know, if you ever build something, Dave, let me know. And I've got some money. And I went to all three of them and they all three said, yes, we raised over a half a million dollars. I'm not taking a dime from this, by the way. I've put in my own money. I'm not taking a cent. I, I obviously own it. So if we raise a lot, it'll be good for me. But um, but but how beautiful is that? That by by talking about the things that I cared about, I was suddenly connected with people who then were able to help fund something that they actually really believe in. Um, so we're going to be launching a series of locals. I would love to have you on there and we'll get, you know, we, we want to basically just kill Patreon. Let's kill Patreon as a first start for all of this. And let's do a bottom up creator first internet. So instead of just handing all of your power to the big boys, hand it to some of the people that are creating something that you care about. And and, and by the way, I think that the subscription model is actually the future of the internet as well. Because when you pay even just a dollar or two for something, you care about it more versus these free burner sites and burner accounts and the rest of it. Why do you watch Netflix? Why do you pay for Netflix? I mean, you know that I do not re- personally, but you, you do, but you have your mother's <clears throat> account, and she borrowed it from your uncle. I and do your uncle have my mother's account. account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but the idea is a lot of people pay for it, and because of that, they've been able to create a, a tier of content that is better than everything else, and and that's what we're going to have with the internet. I I think the top down thing is over. I think the future is bottom up. I think we've created something that's that's. What I keep saying is we've solved 95% of the problems for 95% of the people. I can't solve everybody's problem. You know what I mean? Alex Jones has a particular problem, uh, you know, because he can't get on these things. I can't solve everybody's problem. But we can build you a pretty freaking slick app that you can get in the app store. You'll be able to directly communicate with your people. By the way, if you're a consumer on Locals and you delete your account, we don't keep any of your data. Your data is, is gone immediately. All we do is we keep your at handle in case you ever want to come back. To a local, but we don't keep your data. And by the way, as a creator, if you leave us, you get all the data. 
So you get not only your content, which is yours, which is completely different than YouTube. Yes. Because YouTube could just boot you tomorrow and you'd get, you'd lose all your stuff. Um, but you could walk with your, with the email addresses and contact information for all of your audience. So I think we've done as much as is humanly possible at the moment. Uh, so I'm very proud of what we've built with locals.com and we shall see. Thank you so much. And I've been yeah. looking forward to this development for quite some time. Yeah, actually. well, I realized I needed another job. I wasn't doing enough between, <laughs> between the show and touring and, and the book and everything else. You know, it's funny that when I, when I finished the book and we went through the last edits, and I'm, right now I'm doing just some final, final, final copy edits. But when we really, when my editor and I put it down and we said, okay, we're, we're pretty much done minus, you know, some just really tiny technical stuff. That was a Friday afternoon. And uh, David, my husband and I, we cracked open a bottle of wine. We had some great steaks. And I thought, I'm, I'm officially done. I, I'm going to have like a week to just like decompress. And then bang, on that Monday morning, like the locals thing, because I'd been working on that on the side, but I didn't realize how quickly it was going to pop and a few things came together. And then it was like, whoa, Friday, book done. Monday morning, I'm a tech CEO. So life, life comes You're at you You're the CEO fast. of the common company. I'm well. actually not the CEO. Right. So, uh, but but I, um, we haven't actually figured out some of those things yet. I don't want to be the CEO, by the way. No, I understand um, that completely. I, I, don't, I don't want all of those decision-making uh, capabilities. I also... I have enough on my plate at the moment that I don't want that. What I think I can do right now is what I've done with you, which is I think I can communicate these ideas and get the right information out to people so they can understand why what we've built is good and maybe why what they're doing is not good. But I don't want to be involved. I like being involved in the idea portion of it when we're really building the architecture of how you yeah. how we should do this. How do we make sure the payment processor makes sense? How do we make sure free speech is protected? All of that. But I don't want to be the CEO of the company and making like the the real. Business I'm glad decision. to hear there's still some comedian comedian left in you. Was I funny in this hour? Did I do anything funny here? You said a lot I of said, good things. Yeah, uh, and you were things, passionate. But, yeah. Well, funny. Funny. Yeah. Uh, uh. I don't know. Are we funny anymore? Well, I try to be from time to time, but people just take offense. So, yeah. Well, you know what? You should next time you're here. So, I, I'm not because of locals in the book. I didn't do any stand up really in the last eight months or so. But the year before, when I was on tour with Jordan, when we would be in off cities, uh, you'd have an off night. You know, if we got to Salt Lake City and the show was on a Sunday and we were there Saturday night, I would do the local comedy club. And I, I didn't have an opener. I would just do an hour myself and then I'd bring on a guest. So sometimes Jordan would come on or whatever. And I do stand up in a very free form. It's sort of like this. Like I kind of just get up there and I'm like running a circus. Yes. So I'm not there to bludgeon them with jokes. I kind of talk about all of this stuff. I get the audience to interact and yell at each other and I'll bring people on stage and I give stuff away. And it's just sort of a circus atmosphere that is very not traditionally stand up. But people have a freaking great time, have an absolutely, absolutely great time because I don't take it that seriously and I don't, I don't really need it. You know, you know when you're really doing stand-up and you need it. Yes. You need it. It's an itch. It's an itch that you can never fully scratch, right? And now because fortunately I've had some other successes and I've worked very hard and on all of these other things, I don't need it. And by not needing it, I'm able to enjoy it. Yeah. Um, which is a very freeing thing. So. I can imagine. I did my first set in a year at the LA Improv last did night. Did How yeah. was it? It was great, yeah. actually, because uh, uh, public speaking does not really make me nervous. Yeah. Uh, because if you, don't no, well, well, if you don't have... Well, if you don't have to make people laugh, then it's easy, yeah. right? So... Uh, But last night I had a great time on stage yeah. uh, for the first time in a year. And I uh, I think the itch is back. So you were at the Laugh Factory? No, I was at the LA Improv. Oh, LA Improv, right. Oh, literally right here down on Melrose. Yes. Yeah. yeah, nice. Cool. Yeah. Well, 
just keep going. I mean, that's, that's all anyone that's listening to this or anyone that's doing anything in life. Keep going. There's, there's a force out there that wants to stop good people from talking, uh, that wants to get us all afraid of everything and afraid of each other and all of those things. And I don't think I'm some extraordinary person. I think I'm somebody that for some reason is willing to talk about these things. You know what I mean? It's whatever's in you, that the fire that's in you that makes you somebody that wants to be outspoken in a time when being outspoken is dangerous and put your thoughts out there. It's like everyone has that in them. And I think we just have to ignite that in people. And then the rest will work itself out. I do hope you're right. And I want to thank you for returning to Deconstructive Criticism, Dave Rubin. My pleasure. And uh, do I get to sleep here or what? It, sure you do. No. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Deconstructive Criticism with this episode's guest, Dave Rubin. You can also watch him on Henrik Jonsson's YouTube channel where Henrik and Dave meets for the first time, soon enough, and later on his own YouTube channel. Links to previous and coming episodes can be found on aronflam.com as well as my social media on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, PayPal, I guess. Thank you for supporting this show on Patreon via PayPal, Bitcoin or Swish 0768943737, 0768943737. If you want something more tangible, you can also find my very stylish t-shirts there with this podcast motto, Your Feelings Are Hurting My Thoughts, as well as my book, This Is a Swedish Tiger, although only in Swedish so far, and if you order now, it will take a long time for you to get your book, because we are sold out again. Woohoo! Two full editions of 2,500 books each in six months. I want to extend my deepest thanks to you who has bought the book, and an even more heartful thank to you who have actually read the book. It means a lot to me, and I am truly, truly grateful. Next edition will be rewritten and reworked somewhat, and that version will be released as an ebook too. Still working on the sound book, so please bear with me. For you English-speaking listener, the book will come out in English one way or another. A first draft is already finished out of my own pocket and time, and I will try to get a local publisher first, wherever you live. I gave a copy of the first draft to Dave, and hopefully he has a chance to glance through it and give me some comments. So if I don't find local publishers in your specific country, I will try to self-publish. I have been Aaron Flam. Until next time, have a good unit of time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.